Hello, hello, everybody. We are we are rocking and rolling with a little less audio quality on this one. I'm recording this via voice notes on my iPhone. And uh, let's see, the podcast itself was done via Zoom. So there might be a little bit of audio uh, difference there from what you're accustomed to. But the power of the podcast packs a punch. We've got Dr. David E. Martin on the podcast. He is the author of a couple of different books that we mentioned here, Lizards Eat Butterflies. One of my favorite all-time books, very important one. Perhaps more importantly, where you'll recognize him as the bowtie guy in Plandemic Indoctrination. And we take a deep dive down the rabbit hole. We talk about what's happening in the world right now from a lens you may not be accustomed to. So be prepared, as I mentioned in the Mickey podcast, to table the inner critic one more time and let this seep in. And the beautiful thing is that everything David's talking about, he backs up. He has uh, plenty and plenty of information. If you want to go down the rabbit hole a little further, he did an excellent podcast on London Real with Brian Rose. And for whatever reason, this guy has like a photographic memory. I mean, he remembers every date. He remembers incredible details about when these patents went through and when a lot of the things that we're going to discuss happened. And he's been tracking them for a very, very long time. So, I'm going to leave that there. There are a number of ways you can support this podcast. Number one, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you and is an excellent way to help the show grow and get other people to support us. Uh, Click subscribe. That's a good one too. Then you won't miss a single episode and check out our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Silent Mode. Silent Mode is a peak performance company aiming to help 100 million people reduce their resting heart rate by 5%, enabling happier, healthier lives. They believe the combination of music, science, and technology can create a new genre of mental fitness training, which can be practiced at home or work or when traveling. These guys are absolutely phenomenal. They provide access to guided mental fitness workouts delivered through a sensory deprivation device. And this device is incredible. It's uh, made with memory foam. It's a full coverage with speakers around your head and it will put you in your own little world uh, i've used this thing religiously it has helped me guide me through some some breath work and they have tons of cool things on their app on ios with Breathonics that really use breath work and music to dial in a a different state of being you know to simply shift you shift your awareness and help you meditate or gear up more effectively uh, this is for connected humans who want to improve peak performance, Silent Mode provides tools and techniques that power the mind and the body. So you can check out all this uh, on the iOS app for Breathwork or for Breathonics. Scratch the Breathwork part. You can get all this on Breathonics on iOS now, and they have an Android app as well. But simply what you want to do is just go to silentmode.com slash KKP. You're going to get 15% off the Power Mask, three months free Breathonic subscription at silentmode.com slash KKP. That is S-I-L-E-N-T-M-O-D-E dot com forward slash forward slash KKP and use the promo code KKP upon checkout specifically for my listeners. We're also brought to you today by Element. Element is my favorite electrolyte drink ever created. Uh, it's, it's critically important that we substitute, especially if we're trying ketogenic diet or carnivore diet. 
Proper hydration requires water and electrolytes. Often electrolytes are forgotten. Drinking too much water, not too little, is the biggest problem for athletes. Overwatering leads to low salt levels in the blood, a condition known as, let me try this, hyponatremia. Hyponatremia causes unpleasant symptoms like headaches, muscle cramps, and fatigue, which especially plagues athletes and can detract from performance. Properly balanced electrolytes can lead to increased endurance, performance, and recovery. Main message here is to drink to thirst, not beyond, and make sure you replace electrolytes lost through sweat, especially sodium. And these guys pack a punch. They're not pulling punches here in terms of the dosages or you know what you would find typically in a Gatorade or something like that. There is no sugar, no artificial ingredients, no coloring agents, etc., that are unhealthy and unneeded when hydrating. There's not an element. To go deeper into the science, we've got a link here, Elementy Blogs and Research Doc. This is developed by my homie Rob Wolf, who's a two-time New York Times bestseller and uh, a former research biochemist and just a fantastic dude who's been on the podcast before. So after years of mixing his own homemade electrolyte blends and frustration with the lack of healthy options in the market, Element Recharge was born. And like I said, there is there is nothing like that. It, there is nothing like this. It tastes incredible and it gets the job done. A single serving packet delivers a gram of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, which makes for far easier measuring and dosing of electrolytes on the go. It's a science-backed electrolyte ratio. And out of all electrolytes, people are most likely to be deficient in these three, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. The latter two are very difficult to get through diet. These guys have a no question, no question policy ask on refunds, and it's absolutely phenomenal. We will link in the show notes, of course, but drinklmnt.com slash Kyle. That is drinklmnt.com slash Kyle will give the listeners a deal on Element. We're also brought to you by One Farm. One Farm makes the very best CBD on the planet. They have my favorite tinctures. It's full spectrum, 100% USDA organic from a single origin farm. And you can get 15% off everything in the store, including night serums and face creams, chapstick, hand sanitizer, you name it. These guys are doing it all over at onefarm.com slash Kyle. You'll get 15% off everything. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Sovereignty.co. Sovereignty makes my favorite nootropic on the planet called Purpose. It's a CGN. CGN is one of the many cannabinoids found in cannabis. And it's the only one that I know of that actually enhances cognitive function. In addition to that, they have many different adaptogenic herbs. They have 75 milligrams of organic caffeine and another 75 milligrams of slow time-release caffeine, which is going to give you a bump but not push you over the top and then slowly release to keep you there for another four to six hours. There is nothing like this as a nootropic or an energy drink. So go to sovereignty.co slash Kyle, and you will get a very special money back guarantee where if you don't like it, not only will they give you a hundred percent refund. And in addition, they will buy you your favorite supplement. That's how much these guys stand by their product, but you only get that at sovereignty.co slash Kyle. So check that out. Check out all of our sponsors. And without further ado, my man, David E. Martin. All right, Dr. David E. Martin, thank you for joining the podcast, brother. Kyle, awesome to be here, man. Love to see your face. Yeah. So let's see. I got my first taste of you in Plandemic 2 Indoctrination. Um, but, and, and, 
Absolutely brilliant there. We're going to unpack that for people who have not seen it yet. But of course, for a lot of people who have listened to the podcast I did with Mickey Willis, um, we, we pretty much, you know, we, we, I wanted to give people a taste test of what the film was that they hadn't seen it and not just shoot yeah. it out of the fucking cannon. And at the same time, take it a little deeper. So had they seen that, like, just know there is, um, we're, we're scratching the tip of the iceberg here with the depths of which uh, deception and uh, law breaking has gone on, organized crime, all this good stuff that I want to jump into with you and, uh, and much more. So first, let's just get your background and then we'll jump into pandemic and everything else from there. Well, my background, listen, is, is pretty, pretty unusual. I have, um, I've been looking at the world a different way since the very beginning. So the good news is I, I've always wondered like why I'm seeing stuff and people don't seem to be seeing it. So that's kind of been the way I've been wired from the beginning. Um, but very early on in my life, I saw the world through a lens that was very unusual. Um, that put me in the middle of things as I've shared with you and I've shared with the readers of some of my writing, put me in some unusual places where, you know, whether it was jungles of Central America in the 1980s, whether it was going after um, illicit technology transfer in the 1990s as the Soviet Union was falling apart and the Eastern Bloc was coming to pieces, um, you know, looking at the the not so subtle ways in which defense technologies, which were illegal to develop in places like East Germany and Japan, were starting to leak around the world. You know, I've always been kind of in this wonderful space of not only being at the right place at the right time, but remembering names, faces, companies, technologies, you know, kind of, kind of dialing all that in, never knowing exactly why I was remembering it. But, um, you know, it's funny when I started my formal training, because Kyle, I'm, I'm the first to say my formal education is basically a cover story. I was smart. I was quick in my mind. And unfortunately, I was young and arrogant. And I needed to have letters behind my name so people would go, oh, well, he's smart, arrogant, and he's a doctor. Um, like, <laughs> I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to tell you that I really learned a lot. What I, what I did was I actually spent a lot of my life um, earning credentials to justify why I was in the room. Um, that's the only reason why these things exist. You know, the plaques on the walls, what they do is they actually – give people who need a label the ability to go, oh, we got a smart guy and he's got a doctorate and he's a professor and whatever else, so we should listen to him. Well, the fact of the matter is you should have listened to me and I should have saved six, six years of my life and God knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, but that's not how it rolls. And so what, what happened was, you know, I started doing treaty restricted technology transfer um, late 80s, early 90s, and then as we moved through the 90s, um, you know, Mosaic Technologies set up uh, Mosaic Collateral Asset Management, which is the company that that became super famous for its ability to forensically track every idea that moves on this planet. And we have systems and we have intelligent, you know, computational mechanisms to track everything, to see who's doing what, to see who's trading what, transferring what. And um, yeah, so we just have an eye on what's moving everywhere on this earth. Yeah, I, 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 that, that resonates a ton. And thank you for, for building the street cred among, among white collar folks. So you get <laughs> just a broader audience, which is super important now. There's no two ways about that. Um, let's dive into some of your work in financial business because, you know, you, you created an index. 
we, we, one of the reasons I bring this up is because it's important to follow the money and you guys have done that so well. And then of course, the technology that you've created that has allowed you to track information and to track uh, all of these different ways people have been filing for things that raise questions. Yeah, well, so a lot of people don't realize, but in, in 1979, the United States got a kick in the butt. And that was that after MacArthur kind of set the post-World War II plan in motion and said Japan was always going to be a source of kind of cheap technical labor. Sounds familiar with another country kind of further to the east? I don't know, a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm just reaching for things there. But, um, you know, MacArthur said the great thing is we're going to tell Japan what to do. We're going to show them how to do it, and they're going to just behave, right? We're, they're, they're just going to behave. They're going to do our bidding. And then in 1979, they kicked our butt. They started out patenting us on things like communications, televisions, automotive technologies, all sorts of other things. And, and people in the U.S. were like, whoa, hold on a minute. You were supposed to always be kind of just – doing our bidding because that was the deal and now all of a sudden you're overtaking us and we can't handle that so we passed a law in 1979 and it was called the Bayh-Dole Act and what that did was it actually made us be able to counterfeit innovation now that's a tough thing to tell people but basically what it did was it said we're not going to make you invent things to get patents we're not going to make you invent things to actually build companies we're going to just give you patents on ideas that you have like if you got an idea we're going to give you a patent whether you can use it not doesn't matter we're just going to start giving you stuff and the reason is we want to out cold war arms race the japanese we want more patents than the japanese we want to be more innovative than the japanese and by the way, the Japanese are like, whatever, dudes, we're going to still kick your butts. And they did in a bunch of these areas. But, but what happened was, at that point in time, a very interesting dynamic happened. We moved from a world where it used to be a world of engineering and ideas driving in industry and economies. And it started being who controls the story. Who's got the story that actually says they're the best, not who is the best. And we moved into the propaganda of innovation in 1979. And to, to make that move, obviously, a lot of things had to happen. But the federal government was totally on board. We wanted to make sure that happened. But then another interesting thing happened. We changed how the United States government bought things. And it was the merger of these two worlds where a very interesting and nefarious thing happened. And we have our finger on the pulse of it. And that is that the governments around the world, but led by the United States model, the governments have decided to bet on market allocations where they have the ability to influence the technology companies that they want to control. Sound familiar? Facebook, Google, pharmaceutical companies, defense companies, whatever else. It's how do we get our hooks in early? Let's give you a grant. Let's do this thing. Let's start forming a partnership. But you know what? Free money never comes free, Kyle. There's always a hook. There's always something that digs in. And so our company figured out how to match the worlds of grants and contracts and cross-border transfer agreements with what people said was innovation and university research and all this kind of stuff. We mashed all that together. And in 1998, we started the business that actually tracked who the governments around the world had picked to be winners and losers. 
so that the markets could actually see that it wasn't going to be the best technology that's going to win. It's not going to be the best product that's going to be the win. It's going to be the company that has the greatest ability to sell its soul for influence that's going to get the win. It's, that's, a, that's a lot to unpack there. You, you really dive into this in pandemic indoctrination, but it's the path yeah. that you're following. It's the patents that you're talking about, this, this idea that you can pretty much take over a market through information without even having a technology developed. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen absurd, absurd amounts of, of these patents come through with coronavirus. Oh, my gosh. 5,100 and counting, Kyle. 5,100 patents. And you just sit there, that number for most people, if you said there are 5,100 patents around the world on coronavirus, you'd go, well, that sounds like people have been doing stuff with coronavirus for a long time. And the answer is you bet they have been. You know, those patents go way back into the late 1990s. As we talk about in pandemic, the, you know, 1999, we saw this giant proliferation of coronavirus patents all of a sudden. And then in 2003, the, the big breakthrough was the CDC's April 25th patent on owning the coronavirus that was transmitted to humans. Um, and you just sit there going, hold on a minute. Center for Disease Control. I didn't know it was Center for Disease Commercialization. That's what CDC should stand for. Centers for Disease Commercialization. Because what they do is they monetize their model of infection, disease, and treatment. Yeah, that's something that, that was a lot for people to chew on is this understanding that these guys aren't just out here looking over the, the safety and health of the world, but they are a for-profit company. And that's they exactly not right. only have uh, you know, patents on coronavirus itself, but on all testing measurements. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, what, what we'll do on another podcast sometime is we're going to dive into the giant forecasts of all the other things that we're going to have come up. But let's just throw some out there, right? We know, by the way, that we've got acute flaccid myelitis, which is a very high-tech way of kind of talking about the same thing that most of us remember as kind of a polio-like thing, Um the, the bummer is the CDC's official story is we eradicated polio, but not so fast. We, we eradicated the name polio, but we've still figured out ways to give people the disease by the treatments we've created. So the amazing thing is we eradicated, nah, maybe we didn't eradicate anything. Maybe what we did was we changed the name of a thing. So the fact is now if you have something that looks and feels and smells like polio, the only thing it isn't is polio because we've been told that's been eradicated except for all the people that don't have it eradicated because they now have a new name for a condition that looks and smells and feels exactly like the thing that got eradicated. And when you look at that, I mean, I, I wish I was making this up, but if we look at where Zika virus and we look at where, you know, malaria has been and we look at where Ebola has been and we look at where dengue hemorrhagic fever is and we look at all these kinds of things out there, the fact of the matter is this is about commercial control of a narrative. This is not about health. Yeah, that's that's a lot to chew on for sure. Let's unpack Moderna a bit further. You talked about this a bit on um, you know uh, the London Real podcast with Brian Rose, which we'll link to in the show notes. It's absolutely phenomenal. But you guys took this a lot deeper than was in indoctrination, and I'd love for you to do that here because there's a lot on you know this company that seems to have been at the forefront out of nowhere to to be our saving grace that's going to bring us the vaccine that cures us all from the fake pandemic that's not killing nearly as many people as we've been told it has 
Yeah, so so uh, Moderna is what happens when government collusion and misappropriation of technology meets the private equity markets. And man, can you print money on the back of the fun you can have when you misrepresent what you have, where it came from, and where it's ultimately going. So let's take a little journey back down memory lane to August of 2010. Now, any smart listener is going to go, whoa, Dave, there was no Moderna company August of 2010. It wasn't started until the latter part of 2010. So August, you, you, you must not mean what you're saying. But unfortunately, I'm actually saying exactly what I'm saying. In August of 2010, the first mRNA patent was filed to Moderna Therapeutics. And the funny thing about that is the company didn't even exist. The better part about that is that the first inventor, who was allegedly the guy who from the National, the National Science Foundation, not NIH, but the National Science Foundation grants, came up with this whole idea of, you know, kind of putting mRNA into a lipid nanoparticle and getting it, you know, to do very interesting things. The guy who alleged to have invented it surprisingly violated the law with the first patent that was filed. And the first patent that was filed, he decided to include two guys who probably you and I would agree would be experts in biotech and life sciences. Investors from New York. Two dudes that had nothing to do with the invention. But man, when it comes to getting your ego boosted, there's nothing like getting your name on a patent. And so they allegedly were inventors of a thing signed to a company that didn't even exist before the company even existed. They were inventors on a technology they had nothing to do with. Now, that's fraud. That, you know, you actually have to sign when you sign a patent application, you have to sign that everybody actually contributed to an invention. Well, here's the tiny problem. The guy who credibly was the scientist appropriated the technology from a National Science Foundation grant that he failed to reference, thereby breaking the 1979 law that says that if you get federal funds to make a technology, you have to disclose that those federal funds in your patent application. So he violated the law by essentially misappropriating the technology. And then he decided to tack on two guys to secure investment funds to stroke their egos in exchange for their cash. This, by the way, is before Moderna even becomes Moderna. So let's look at the very opening presumption. Theft of technology in violation of law, violation of patent law by actually attributing invention to people who didn't actually invent anything, then failure to disclose in the application all the federal support and everything else. Moderna started as an illegal operation. That's their cornerstone, that's the start. Surprisingly to no one, in the now 140 patents and patent applications that Moderna has filed, guess what they've kept doing? Breaking the law. They keep doing this. So the funny thing is, if you actually know you get away with a crime, guess what you keep doing? The crime that you're getting away with. And not only that, but you know, billions of dollars indirectly and directly flowing into them through, you know, DARPA funding and through other agencies, which don't really disclose who they are, but, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, they're all in the public interest and they're all in the public health, but, but we can't really tell you what they are because they're all just good for you. You're, you're too dumb to know what's good for you. So we're not going to tell you, 
But in every one of those, guess what they failed to do? They failed to disclose that their technology is riding on the back of taxpayer-funded ta- taxpayer research, and all of us don't care. And then the co-conspirator, market allocator, antitrust violator-in-chief, Anthony Fauci, decides to push them to the front of the line in front of the president of the United States and says, make a public statement that says these are our guys. Now, all I'm going to tell you is something really, really straight. Alex Amazar, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and Anthony Fauci knew damn good and well that they were putting up a criminal operation in front of the president and saying, make the public bet on these guys. And if you think for a moment that that was an innocent oversight where they just didn't know, you have drunk way too much Kool-Aid and you've got your mask on way too long because the hypoxia has got to your brain. (laughs) So one thing you alluded to was the potential that This was put up and in, I mean, obviously this whole thing has been politicized, but as, uh, as a way that it would be exposed prior to the election. So this vaccine that everyone's been hoping for, and it's been promised to the American public would be a failure. And that failure would rest in Donald Trump's hands. Absolutely. And look what happened when he was allegedly infected with COVID-19 and rushed to Walter Reed. And all of a sudden, Regeneron comes along and says, hey, we're going to give you a treatment. And what happened, Kyle? You know, I said this on Brian Rose and people were going, ah, that's conjecture, man. You're going out on a limb because I said I was going out on a limb. So guess what? I was out on a limb. But I said, my guess is that the minute you actually hear the president talking about a treatment being approved or a treatment being used, there's going to be a lawsuit filing for infringement for the technology that allegedly is behind that treatment. Guess what happened while he was in Walter Reed? Regeneron got hit with a lawsuit for the treatment that the president was getting. It's as though I had a crystal ball. Oh, hold on a minute. I do. It's called my systems, which actually show me exactly who's waiting in the wings. And I'll tell you what. Bad news is there's a Canadian firm and a U.S. firm financed by a massive Indian consortium who is waiting in the wings to take out Moderna. And all we have to do is have the president get up on stage and say, guess what? We figured it out. We figured out how to do a vaccine. We're ready to roll it out. And they just have to raise their hand, go not so fast. And then the president looks like an idiot. And listen, we already know that the shutdown of California, the shutdown of New York, the shutdown of New Jersey, the shutdown of the economy across this country. We already know that what is being done is a controlled demolition of the middle class of this country and a very clear demolition of small business across this country. And we know that what we want in the agenda of those pulling the strings on this, we want to have President Trump stuck with a reputation worse than Herbert Hoover in 1929. That's what they want. Because it turns out that with record unemployment, with terrible small business numbers, with a GDP that's contracted by probably somewhere around 37% if we're really accurate, you know, no seating president has ever been able to pull out a win. So, but how cool would it be to while he's down, kick him with an intellectual property trip up, I don't know, a week or two before the election. How, how cool would it be for him to have his grand plan to actually try to help America move forward 
get stopped because Amy's infringing patents. Don't think for a minute that the Chinese aren't already sitting there going, wouldn't that be funny? We've been fighting a trade war on the theft of intellectual property for the last three and a half years where everybody's been saying we've been stealing intellectual property. How funny would it be if the president of the United States had advanced the technology was actually violating intellectual property? Game, set, match. This was a planned demolition and there is a planned casualty called the presidency. Yeah, this is uh, this is a ton a ton to chew on. Fauci for for most people, you know, it. I think I think most people watching this have understood just from a health and wellness standpoint that a lot of what he's saying is is complete nonsense, and he's even gone back and forth faster than most politicians do. Uh, I think he just came out saying like, "Well, there's no real reason to wear masks." Uh, this is right. a guy calling for us to wear goggles and and eye eye protection when I was out in Tahoe a couple months ago. You know, it was just like uh, the. Absolutely absurd, you know, that we're going to wear. Oh, and yeah, and and have sex through a board, and 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 wear masks during sex. Like, yes, we we've got a guy who is who is a real special character. He's all over the place, and then of course, you know, you get enough people talking, and then it's like, oh yeah, D three is a good idea. Oh yeah, zinc might work, you know. And it's like, well, yeah. well, no shit. I mean, we've known this from the fucking jump. And of course, uh, you look deeper at things like hydroxychloroquine getting swept under the rug, and whatever your knowledge base is around something like that, that's fine. We don't need to take a deep dive on some of these natural remedies that work, or some of these other, you know, pharmaceutical interventions that have been shown to work. That, that can be tabled for a different discussion. But the bottom line is this guy has been all over the place. He's not someone to be trusted. And, uh, you know, just like the point where you brought up with Brian Rose, every four years we have the opportunity for a new president. But for some reason, Fauci's been there at the head of the table in his position for three decades now. 1984, Kyle. And he was the reason why in 1986, President Ronald Reagan was able to be coerced into signing the Vaccine Immunity Act, which essentially gave vaccine manufacturers carte blanche ability to have no liability for any of their products, which led to the absolute proliferation of vaccines from what used to be DTP and MMR and stuff like that to, you know, now what, 60, 70 recommended vaccines. If, if Anthony Fauci, and, and, and let's let's call it for what it is. I, I said this on Brian Rose, and I've said this a couple other times, but, but we need to call Anthony Fauci for what he is actually. He is Joseph Stalin. He's Chairman Mao. He has decided that he is going to use a social engineering technology to inflict harm on millions of people. And we're going to look back, whether we look at HIV, whether we're looking at other viral outbreaks, whether we're looking at HPV, which is this massive assault on the women in our world right now, no matter how you look at it, history will judge this period. And history will judge the director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease as the guy who presided over hundreds of millions of people having allergies when his job was to solve allergy problems. That's the A in N-I-A-I-D. But under his administration, allergies across the board have 
mushroom to the point where you can't eat peanuts on planes because there's an airborne peanut dust that might get to somebody and they need an EpiPen, blah, blah, blah. He, he, has, he has presided over this proliferation of gluten intolerances and, and food allergies and, and environmental allergies. This guy, if he was judged in any year for, hey, dude, are you doing your job? Your job is to make sure we have less allergies this year than last year. And by less, we mean increase it by an order of magnitude. That's the allergy side. Now let's look at the infectious disease side. How we're doing on things like AIDS? How are we doing things like hepatitis? How are we doing on things like actual viruses, like things that we've known about for a long time, like herpes and all of these other things? How are we doing on those things? Oh, that's right. We suck. We're getting worse. And when we're not dealing with the things that we didn't deal with before, what we do is add more pathogens that we suck at dealing with. So the cool thing is, under his watch, he has epic fail on the allergy side, and he has epic fail on the infectious disease side. And if anybody was a CEO of a company that year on year got worse by an order of magnitude, we'd call that, oh, we'd call it the federal government. That's what we'd call it. And that's exactly what it is. And he'd be out. There's no two ways about it. But here no. it is. He's right. He's right on the front lines. He's on camera. He's right next to the president. And he's been working very closely with Bill Gates. Check writer in chief. Check writer in chief. And he has set the president up for an epic fail. Let's talk a little bit about Bill Gates. Obviously, for, for people that watch the film, there's, there's, plenty, there's plenty there to get into. And for people that haven't watched the film, something I mentioned with Mickey, and, and of course you know this already, is there was at least four hours of footage that Mickey had to edit down to the 20 minutes that made it into indoctrination. They could have done yeah. two separate documentaries on Gates alone. Uh, he's no yeah. stranger to antitrust issues with everything that he's been in in the past to where he's at now. And he's, he's not this great philanthropist that we've been all sold on. You know, he, he's bragging about how all of his investments into vaccines have a 20 to one return. Yeah. You know this in, in financial industry, and I'm sure you know some bigwigs, perhaps they would make an investment this large, but more often than not, even if somebody knew a stock was going to crush and do very well, you might not put $10 billion into that, right? It's too volatile no. a market. So why put $10 billion into vaccines? Well, if you know, it's guaranteed to get your 20x back. And more importantly than that, I mean, if I, if I created a supplement and I made every world government make it mandatory to take my supplement, yeah. that would fucking guarantee some money coming back, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing. It is amazing, as you said. I mean, listen, we got to dial, dial the clock, got, get in the time machine, go back to 1996. I mean, listen. Bill Gates has, has been this master illusionist from the very beginning. He was an entitled rich brat who happened to have a very powerful lawyer dad. And once again, if we actually started the sentence there, we would have less sympathy. But, but we don't like to start the sentence there. We, meet, we, we want to talk about, um, you know, kind of an interesting introvert from Redmond who, who no, he's a freaking rich, spoiled brat who had a very powerful, influential lawyer dad who was wired into a little family. I forget what their names are, Rocka, Rocka something. You'll, you'll be able to look it up. It was Rocka something. Um, so, so that guy 
who actually was trained literally by like remember the story of romulus and remus right the guys that started rome and allegedly a wolf came along and they were able to suckle from the wolf well guess what the the microsoft and the what becomes the ibm facebook google cabal they're romulus and remus and they both suckled from the same wolf and the wolf was a government that said that if we can put devices in the hands of every person and we can have operating systems and application layers on top of operating systems and communication layers on top of those application layers on top of those operating systems we can pretty much map the behavior of the entire world wink wink nod nod we're going to let you be a monopoly as long as you backdoor us a way to get all your data. Microsoft wasn't the best operating system. Just like Google wasn't the best search engine, just like Facebook wasn't the best social media platform. The only reason those guys exist is because they cut deals. And the deals are deals where if you really go back and look at the antitrust investigations, the Justice Department had Microsoft by the balls. And then what does Bill Gates do? Bill Gates comes along and goes, oh, I need to improve my image. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm going to say I'm creating the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, here's a tiny problem. Whose hundreds of millions of dollars were those? And Kyle, nobody asked this question. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was actually moving money out of the pocket of Microsoft in case they lost. He was shielding assets. From who? From the U.S. taxpayer who was going to get a fine levied by the Department of Justice if he didn't clean up his image. This was no philanthropic anything. This was moving money away from a potential liability for crimes he knew he committed. But man, spin the shit out of that. It's the Gates Foundation. Oh, my gosh. This billionaire is giving his money to the poor. And, and, and what's he doing? Oh, he's helping Africa. Like, that's mom and apple pie. You can't actually even ask a question. Like, does that feel like we're being played? You're not allowed to ask that question. But we should ask the question because the money he started the Gates Foundation with is actually less than what his fine should have been from the DOJ. And everybody looks past that and kind of goes, no, it was just him being nice. Except by doing that, what he did was he bought his way access into every head of state around the world. And when anybody tells me, oh, man, you can't tell me really that, a, you know, a few actors could pull this whole thing off. Um, actually, it wouldn't even take a few. Like you could fit them in my office right here and have empty chairs. That's how few it would take, because it turns out that they've already proliferated on every operating system, every email, every social media, every way you access Internet, every way you access information. They already own all the channels. And guess what? Their message is the message. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's kind of I don't know, man, it, it, there's a lot there. It's it's one thing I think when people think of this as like, uh, all right, this is just getting money. And, and obviously, you know, one thing I touched with Mickey on was the fact that there is a a piece that goes a little bit deeper in the eugenics piece, you know, Bill oh, Gates gotcha. being tied in with, uh, with Margaret from, uh, the, the beginnings of Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, they're, they're the, uh, I forget how he worded this, but it was something like, um, 
it had something to do with the black community that 75% of these Planned Parenthoods were going to be in the black community. And yeah. that just goes right back into that. And, and of course, you know, there's, uh, who was the guy in the seventies that put that out with eugenics? Well, you, you need to just go, go even back to the 1950s. Remember that Watson and Crick, the alleged inventors of DNA, which is a total illusion because DNA is like inventing a periodic table of biology. It's, it's actually not the way biology actually works. Biology works as chromosomes, entangled coils. We could think of them more appropriately as antenna than we could think of them as chemistry. But if you go back and look at the Watson and Crick, you know, background and you go back and look at even their own writings, the whole, the whole characterization, I don't want to call it an invention because it wasn't. It wasn't an invention. It was a characterization of the building blocks of life called DNA. But the fact of the matter is even that is an illusion that was driven by eugenics mandates, which was to try to figure out how to make a better human or a, you know, get rid of disease in humans. Well, it sounds so laudable when what I'm saying is, really, I want to engineer what the human organism actually looks like down the road. And we can sit here all day long and go, well, oh, but they had the best of intentions. You know what? A lot of evil on earth has started with the best of intentions. And all I'm going to say is something very, very clear. From the model of the 1950s to today, we have a subtext playing out where the people who are making decisions that affect the entirety of the human population around the world are not doing so based on a, hey, let's get the people together and figure out what they want. It is a, hey, why don't we dictate to everybody else what they should want, what their experience should be, and screw them if they don't want it. Lock them in their homes, put masks on their face. We're gonna make sure that our will is done on our earth as it is in our heaven. And that's their game. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, still, I, I say it again, it is a, is it a ton to, to really sit with. And I know for people that are listening to this, it's, um, it's a lot to chew on, but I mean, here we are, you know, hopefully you've listened to the podcast with Mickey. One thing you guys turned me on to when we had a, a lunch at Perla's here in Austin, you guys were just going on uh, Alex Jones Infowars. And, yeah. you know, a conversation we had had is, you know, because I was watching Alex Jones leading up to, to your guys' talk on there, and everything he was saying was spot on. It was a lot of information, you know, big tech shutting down uh, Stanford's think tank when they were saying that there is, from all statistical awareness, this has been completely overblown. There is no pandemic. This has been overshot by miles, and YouTube took it down. Right. Yeah. He had a list of articles of different ways that this stuff has been exposed through the fake news and through the narrative. And I'm like, wow, this is this is I never realized Alex Jones has so much good information, you know. And then right before commercial break, he's like, and next when we come back, we're going to take down George Soros, the Satan worshiping Luciferian who's having sex with little girls. And we'll be back. You know, and I was like, oh, you had me until the pro wrestling act. Right. You 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 were communicating things that were resonating with me and that I had I had seen to myself, I had seen in the news, I'd seen this as, as showing up and truthful. And then it just went to the pro wrestling character. And I was like, that's you're gonna lose people doing that. You know, yep. you really are, right? This how we communicate these things matters, but that's exactly right. It's it's um it's I, I think the reason I'm bringing that up is just for the fact that that they have not been wrong. You know, and I think right. it's just the people I've heard globalist agenda from 
it's the way that they're saying it that makes me want to call it bullshit, even if it might be true. Yep. And you had me watch this video called Worse Than War by G. Edward Griffin. I'm going to link yep. to it in the show notes. And again, I mean, fucking head blown emoji. I was just like, holy shit, 1969, black and white video. And he goes through all of these communist documents, which are in writing. Yeah. 1969, in writing. Bit by bit, he has several of them. And as they layer it through, it speaks of a time that we have been in for <laughs> since he fucking <laughs> made that video in 1969 and yep. ever present right now. And here's the thing. You know, I, I often use the metaphor of a serial killer. You know, serial killers are notorious for leaving the evidence of something. It's kind of the, you know, flipping somebody the bird just just to say, ha I got you again, you know? And, and so the serial killers that really capture our attention are the ones that actually, you know, leave a finger or a teddy bear, whatever they do, you know, they got their thing and that's what they do. And, and, and the reason they do it is because it, they have this satisfaction of knowing they're, they're so smart that they can hide the evidence in plain sight and still get you. And, and, and that's what's happening at a big scale. These are serial killers who are proud of the fact that they even told us they were going to do it. And for some reason, we were like, oh, that sounds pretty whack. Like, that, that really wouldn't happen, would it? And, and if you look at World Economic Forum, if you look at Club of Rome, if you look at a number of the organizations that have spread out <coughs> across the world, there's an enormous number of them who have said, you know what? The way we were going to do our plan, which was trying to just get people on side, we wanted to get them on side with changing their standard of living. We wanted to get them on side with changing their environmental outlook or whatever else. We wanted to get them on side and it wasn't working because it turns out people were actually kind of going, nah, we're pretty good with what's happening. So what happens is you have to amplify the dissonance by creating events where people do what they wouldn't otherwise normally do. If any of us would have said a year ago that America would agree to blowing up 80% of the employment of its own economy and do it while sitting on their butts at home wearing face masks, anybody, anybody around the world would have gone, Dude, you are such a conspiracy theorist. That could never happen. Now, the only ones of us who are living like we were living a year ago are the conspiracy theorists. And the ones blowing up the economy, sitting on their butts at home wearing face masks, are the ones judging the conspiracy. And I'm sitting there going, does anybody see how crazy that is? Right? How unbelievable is it that in September of 2019, a bunch of guys sat together and wrote the most audacious book called World at Risk, Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, and you just sit there going, nah, that's, that's just too crazy. That can't happen. And guess what? Everything in crazy shit couldn't happen, happened, happened. Yeah, there we are with incredible similarity, incredible detail. That's one of the most beautiful things that, that Mickey does in indoctrination. The second pandemic video is he shows, 
event 201 being played out in the simulation and then side by side, just like you and I are right now, you get to see yep. actually how that played out. Yep. Even with the narrative through mainstream media, through at least 30 different screens, the script on how yep. Amazon is taking every precaution to make sure you yep. still get your goods. And it's like, yep. what? Like you see, like it, it's in unison and it's word for word. And that's real life. That's not the simulation. Yeah, it's a script. And, and it's a script. That's what it is. The whole thing has been a script. It's, uh, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I, I highly encourage people to watch that. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, you know, the, the audio is not synced up. But just, just pay attention to what he's saying. It gets into a lot of what's happening right now with the so-called race wars. And uh, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll link to a podcast that Douglas Murray just did. He was the author of Madison Crowds phenomenal book and he was on Joe Rogan. So I'll link to that for the listeners as well. Cause it, it really does point to this, what the extreme push is in, in writing the back of, of every movement that was good, you know, writing the back yeah. of women's suffrage, writing the backs of, of equality with race, writing the backs of the gay rights movement, all to try to intersect and say, this is all one thing. Yeah. We're going to push for this thing, but it, it's not the thing we think it is. It is socialism. It is communism. Yeah. And, it's, and yeah. it's, it will blow your mind to hear it from all these different people from 1969 to today that see yeah. it for what it is. You know, and, and Kyle, I think you brought up a point we really need to revisit for a second. You know, um, Alex Jones has, um, has, has gotten to the exasperation point of, of being so frustrated. Like how, how can you not see what's in front of you? And I get it. I get that, you know, sometimes you just lose your mind. You're like, I can't believe I have to explain to somebody what Liberty is like, that should be self-evident. And I, and I get the frustration of it and I get the craziness of it. But I think one of the things that's important for all of us, and I give Mickey tons of props for this, because I think what he did in indoctrination is truly not only a gift in its substance, but it's a gift in its method of delivery. Because everything was delivered in a tone and in a methodical way, and in a way that you sit back and go, hold on a second, this isn't a screaming you know, alarm clock. This is not somebody who's actually kind of ideologically out there. This is a person who's just methodically laying down the facts. Whether you like the facts or not is neither here nor there, but what he's doing is he's delivering it in a mode. And by the way, his narration kind of gets you into that space of going, all right, that sounds just matter of fact. It doesn't sound like somebody's losing their mind. It sounds like a matter of fact. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to actually check that all the time, because if we are going to make a difference, and this is something, by the way, every Monday when I do my show, Butterflies of the Week, when I do those, I always check in and I go, amp it down, dude, because sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you're sitting there going, I can't believe that people aren't getting this, but that's okay still have to bring it down. And I think what you're doing, what Mickey and I try to do with indoctrination, what a number of us are trying to do is say, we can deliver a message that's forceful and truthful, but it doesn't fly off the handle at what appears to be, you know, something that makes it so easy to go, God, are people just stupid or what's going on? Like, we don't have to be that. And it's important to get to that place. And I think your, your point is so important. 
if we're going to deliver a credible message, then it has to be fact-based. It has to be impassioned. I mean, it's good for us to actually deliver it with power, but we don't need to deliver it with exasperation. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I'm, uh, <laughs> well, you were just out at the uh, Red Pill Expo and I think um, yeah. uh, Mickey was out there with you, correct? Yeah. That's on Jekyll Island. And uh, Jekyll Island is a curious place because <laughs> <laughs> G. Edward Griffin's been there. He has uh, written books about what happened on Jekyll yeah. Island and uh, really exposing, you know, the nature of finance, which is another thing, you know, that, that indoctrination touches on. Uh, I think Henry Ford's quote, something, and I'm just paraphrasing, but if the American public knew how our finance system works, we, we, we'd have a revolution the very same day. Yeah, exactly. Um, talk about what you guys were doing out there, you know, who you're talking to. Uh, G. Edward Griffin's still around, in my understanding, he's a much older now. Um, but just uh, unpack some yeah. of the stuff you guys were working on out there. Yeah, so so the Red Pill Expo is amazing. I mean, um, I, I've been around for a long time in the kind of futurist, um, you know, kind of scenario planning world. I, I was a member of the board of the Arlington Institute with John Peterson. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work over the years with this kind of, it's not forecasting, obviously, when you're talking about things that you know. So when, you know, G. Edward was talking about what was in writing in documents in 1969, he wasn't going out on a limb going, hey, I think these people are up to something. He was just trying to wake people up to, they are up to something and this is what they're up to because that's what they're saying. Um, and, and so Red Pill Expo has been an attempt to try to get that kind of thing in front of people. The who's there are amazing people across the board. You've got the libertarians, you've got the extremists, you've got individuals who who have very strong positions on you know certain positions. So Second Amendment rights, First Amendment rights, anything that has to do with individual liberties, you know that's that's a, a huge number of the people there. But there are a lot of people there who are also on their own journey just to figure out how to get information in a world where free and flows of information have been have been so curtailed that you don't even know which end is up. You don't know how to get information other than the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the Fox News. So so there's a group that was just there to curate information, just to go, I need to know what else is being said. So there's that group. And it was wonderful. They, it was a great event. Um, you know, Del Bigtree was there, did a fabulous presentation. Mickey was there. Um, great people. Andrew Kaufman was there. Um, and, and if you look at the people who came, one of the things I loved about it was each person came with an unfiltered and uncensored narrative. It was their best effort to communicate their insights to the people in the room. And it was beautiful because it was, it was a single large room, not breakout sessions. You didn't have to choose what you, you know, what you were in giant room, beautiful people, and very open. Um, you know, Dell sounded like he was a Southern Baptist preacher. I'll tell you what, he, he, he got people to the altar when it came to, you know, getting off their butts and getting active, which is really cool. Um, you know, I had a little bit of fire. I did Sunday morning, so I had to, um, but there was a little, little fire in my pitch, I guess. Um, but the fact is that it was good people, great messages, and the most important thing was uncensored content. It was just people doing their best to explain the narrative that matters to them, to people who actually wanted to listen. That's beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, let's, let's, um, let's talk a bit about a couple of your books. Uh, I'm, I finished Lizards Eat Butterflies. It's the only book that I've ever 
started the moment I finished it, I restarted it and listened to it a second time through. You, of course, do the audible. And just as you were talking about, you know, with the lexicon that we've given, it is the delivery that actually matters just as much as the words that we say. And it was so beautifully done. You know, I've had uh, conversations with Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza, and you learn about programming. And they are always talking about the first, you know, third trimester for the first seven years and the different ways that we're programmed yeah. through there. And something that we were touching on briefly before this podcast started was like, I had no fucking idea to the depths that we are programmed. And I think that's yeah. one of the most beautiful things that you do in pulling no punches in your book. You know, it's, it's not meant to get rid of one belief and substitute it for another belief. Yeah. It is not meant to uh, be inspiring or a book of hope or any of that shit. It is to dispel and unpack and hopefully help us remember who we are. You know, and here's the thing. I, I it, it, It's tough. So I'm going to say it, then I'm going to unpack what I mean by this but I so explicitly intended to offend everybody. And and the reason is because being offended is a reflex. It's not a cognitive action, right? When I offend you, I'm not offending you. I'm challenging a narrative that you don't even know you hold that dear. Like you didn't wake up this morning going, here's the 10 points of the things I think, and no one ever better tell me anything other than that. You didn't think that, but man, you can hear something Black Lives Matter, you know, race equality, gender equality, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, boom, you're triggered and it's something that you need to. But you didn't brush your teeth this morning thinking about it. It's not yours. It's a program that was laid down. And so the reason why I did my best in this book to make sure everybody is equal opportunity offended is to give people the gift of saying, why are you triggered? Who gave you the story? And why did you habituate the story to suspend your own intellect to decide whether it was really your story or not? Kyle, if we actually unpack that, the number of things we think are problems, materialism, depression, shame, guilt, you know, greed, all these things. Most of us, if we actually stopped and said, okay, so like right now, seriously, right now, would you actually change anything about this moment? And the truth of it is, I've got my giant 110-pound burner doodle, Wolfagus fuzz knuckle, laying right next to me, asleep on the floor. I've got a beautiful conversation going on with you. I have a gorgeous family who loves me, and I care about them, and they care about me. I just talked to my son about his great golf game this morning, and he finished the last four holes, you know, one under and everything else. If you, if you seriously gun to the head, come up to me and go, so your life sucks, doesn't it? I go, oh, no. But if you told me, you know, well, yeah, but, but you don't have this and you don't have this and you don't have this and you don't have this. And before long, you could get my, the squirrels in my brain running around going, ah. The fact of the matter is almost every one of our moments is perfect. And if we stopped long enough to say almost every moment is perfect. So why are we bringing the baggage that was programmed into our minds and into our lives? Why are we bringing that baggage into a perfect moment? And that's why I wanted to offend people to go. I want you to know if you put that crap in your bag, that's up to you, dude. But I want you to know you packed it. 
you chose to carry it with you because if you want not to have the squirrels in your brain, if you want to have a life that is emancipated from shame and greed and all of these kind of crazy things, if you want to have a life where you feel like maybe you're a bit more in control of your life than other things are in control of your life, then the short way to get there is to unpack your freaking luggage and travel light. Travel with each moment being fully, adequately prepared and provisioned for each moment. And the book, you know, I modeled it off of Plato's Republic because the fact of the matter is Plato's Republic is this sacrosanct thing. You can't do anything with Plato's Republic. I was like, screw it. Let's actually sit down, take the 11 sections of Plato's Republic and have the conversation in 2020 and say, if we were sitting, you know, in some sort of school of Athens and dudes and togas were sitting around and that was going on, like, what would it be if we put Aristotle and Plato and Socrates in Adidas, uh, you know, shoes and Nike warm ups and like, what would that story be? And that's what Lizards Eat Butterflies is. It's, it's the dudes in Athens, you know, wearing Compton attire. <laughs> and it's so beautifully done. I mean, I love, I love the, the, the pull no punches, offend everyone. It reminded me of South Park in many ways. I mean, I was yeah. laughing my ass off like a crazy person walking around the, with the dog in the neighborhood, in the car, driving bear to school. <laughs> just, just fantastic. Um, one that I'm halfway through right now, which is, which is really interesting, is... And I'm not sure if I'm going to say this correctly, but coup de 12. Yeah. Coup de 12, the enterprise that bought the presidency. That is blowing my mind as well. And there's, <laughs> been, some, <laughs> there's been some recent information that has come up and, and uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see if this comes to fruition or not, but um, some news sources that I've trusted have started to talk about this $152 billion payoff yep. that happened during the Obama administration. Uh, the idea, I mean, I think for many people listening to this, you've at least had question marks around 9-11's uh, legitimacy. And of course, you know, um, there's entire documentaries on that that expose Building 7 and a whole host of other shit that should have never gone down the way they yeah. did. But the why behind that, right? The why behind that is financial. It's to create wars that don't even exist. It's to get the American public behind something that's really not there. A war on ter terrorism, which just like the war on drugs, never really ends because it never really existed to begin with. But this $152 billion payoff was to Iran to keep everyone quiet because Iran knew that they did not actually have Osama bin Laden, that they had killed his double. And that that was the one that went off to sea and that that's why the body was never recovered. And of course, to keep everyone quiet, uh, there's, there's some money that gets exchanged in this circumstance. Now, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a shame if somebody in 2011 wrote a novel that kind of, um, <laughs> that nailed it on the fucking head. <laughs> I mean, I just, I was, I was watching this this morning. My buddy sent, sent me this, uh, red pill 78. And I guess I got a link to that now in the show notes as well. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just starting to think back to your novel and I was like, holy shit, holy shit. And to deliver an Osama kill. So Obama can get reelected. Right. Um, you know, um, so let me tell you the backstory in the book really quickly. The backstory in the book is I was sitting with a bunch of people out in Stanford in, in late 2010. And they said to me, after I was talking to some of them about, you know, some things that I'd done and some people I knew, they go, you should write that shit down. But, but like, but if you did, nobody would believe it. So write it as a novel. 
So I wrote it in six weeks from my notes. Wow. And I wanted to publish it ahead of an event that I knew was going to happen in the latter part of the summer of 2011 because I wanted to really screw with people. I wanted to make sure that a book came out and the event that I described in the book was going to happen in close enough proximity that they go, holy shit, I just read a book two weeks ago that said that was going to happen and it just happened. Because I wanted to bring fiction and reality into focus. And it turns out I published the book six weeks before the Lake Anna nuclear power plant went down, thereby taking down the power to the Federal Reserve Information Technology Center in Richmond, Virginia, thereby providing the cover for the theft of trillions of dollars in the United States Treasury, all covered under the guise of an earthquake that hit Lake Anna nuclear power plant. Now, just go out on a limb. How hard would it be to pick a place that is known, like the San Andreas Fault runs through Central Virginia, right? <laughs> and, and it's highly likely that I would pick the power supply station where it supplies power to the Federal Reserve Information Technology Center. And I just happened to guess to write that into a novel six weeks before an earthquake hits Virginia that takes down the power at the Lake Anna nuclear power plant, which actually disrupts the power supply at the Federal Reserve Information Technology Center. And I did it to do what you know, Kyle, I was doing. I was going, I'm on to you. And I would use the expletive next because you know what I would say. I'm on to you, Yeah. <laughs> I was. Well, well, but that was the reason why we wrote the book. We wrote the book to say these, these events were not random co-occurrences. It's like I said, it's like I said in, in indoctrination, right? We lay out the global monitoring preparedness board thing, you know, in, in September. Back in March earlier that year, Moderna had a patent application that they amended to say because there was probable uh, respiratory pathogen, accidental or intentional release, we're gonna build vaccines, like that was in March of 2019. So Moderna hadn't done anything with coronavirus, but now all of a sudden they're saying that they started a vaccine production program for a pathogen, respiratory pathogen in March of 2019 for an event horizon that no one actually had any ability to know theoretically, right? These things are not all those things happening. And then all of a sudden a bat sneezes in Wuhan and flies over a freaking fish in a market and all of a sudden like shit happens like that's so unbelievable the story we are asked to believe is so horrifically more implausible than the story that actually is the story which is people planned for an event because it served as a cover for something else and the something else i hate to break it to people is always a financial fraud where the public is being robbed by parties that do not want to be held accountable. And so what do you do? I mean, people forget. September 10th at midnight, the insurance for the Port Authority of New York was terminated by a Lloyd's carrier. And at 12.01 a.m. on September the 11th, 2001, AIG, oh, that's right, 
the same insurance company that shortly after went bankrupt so the government could own all of the records so that the government could make sure that there is no way that anybody could ever know this, that AIG took over the policy on the Port Authority buildings, including all the World Trade Center, at 12.01 a.m. on September the 11th, 2001. And we're supposed to sit there going, oh, yeah, that happens. Because September 10th is usually when contracts come up for renewal because that's clearly the end of no quarter and it's the end of no regular period. And But you're not even supposed to ask the question. You're not supposed to go, what the hell? You're telling me at 12.01 AIG, which shortly thereafter was going to be bailed out by the American taxpayer, that AIG took the risk the morning of September 11th, 2001? You're shitting me. That's supposed to be something where we go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That just can happen, right? That can happen. Lloyds can know to go off risk at midnight that night, despite the fact that it was very lucrative po policy. They were making tons of money on it. They can go off risk the night of September 10th. AIG comes on risk, 12.01 a.m. the 11th, and we're supposed to sit there going, who would have seen that coming? And, of course, 2008 happens not long after yeah. we see uh, yeah, I mean, and, another yeah. massive turn. Who, who would have known that we were going to give AIG par for their credit default swaps because the public really wanted to make sure that we supported them? Because you and I, Kyle always knew that Hank Greenberg was like our rich uncle that we wanted to make more rich. Yeah. Who knew? Fantastic documentary inside job with uh, Matt Damon as the narrator. I'll link to yeah. the show notes for people that want to really take a deeper dive. That's also beautifully done. Just like Mickey's work. Um, let's, let's, let's get a, let's get a little bit of, we've been talking a lot about what has happened, you know, thus far. Yeah. And there's, there's proof for that. And obviously you, you lay out, I mean, one of the things that's beautiful when we listen to you in indoctrination and, and on uh, London real is that you do. And even right now you, you have a photographic memory, like, you know, yeah. the exact patents, you know, the numbers, you know, the dates, and it's all held in that log. And that's, that's an amazing thing to have access to that kind of information for a lot of people who don't, um, you know, thankfully there's, there's documentaries and there's books and there's other things that we can dive into that, that go over that. And of course, you know, uh, it, especially when we talk about G Edward Griffin, you know, really calling this out in 1969. And then you look at the world right now and you're like, okay, that that's hard to argue with. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the more speculative things. What do you think is yeah. going to happen here with the elections coming up? What do you think is going to happen, you know, in turn, with uh, the potentials. I know you alluded to this possibility of uh, the release of a, another polio problem coming up here in the future, but just anything you want to riff on. Yeah, well, listen, we already know it. CDC, after I talked about this, CDC came out and warned us this fall could have a, uh, a, a, a uh, flaccid myelitis outbreak. Um, so they've already told us it's coming. And by the way, they're already counting the cases. So the great news is what I, what I, prognosticated wasn't even a prognostication. I didn't even get to sit back and relax and go, man, I wonder if that's a covered bet. Because they came out and said, hey, we got to worry about this because there could be a new epidemic level thing called flaccid myelitis. Um, I didn't even get it out of my mouth before they came out and said, oh, by the way, you should be really worried. There's probably going to be a new epidemic and it's going to look like this. And I'm like, 
I felt like I just had an echo off the cave wall there. I mean, that was not even enough time to make it feel like I was in front of them. Um, but but listen, there there are a number of others. And just like in September of 2001, you know, we had the towers on the 11th. We had anthrax on the 28th, uh, 27th and 28th. Nobody actually knows when it went in the mail. But But when you have these things stacked on each other, we know that when you're going to put this kind of chaos in motion, you need to have a couple of tricks up your sleeve. So coronavirus and COVID-19 is one of the tricks and obviously, you know, has been a miracle for most diseases because most diseases have not killed people now this year. So we're much better off with diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and cancer. You know, we're, we're much better off now because those things don't kill us. What kills us is COVID-19, which is awesome. So if you had cancer or heart disease before, you're, you're cool. Um, but but where we're going now is is actually more insidious because the the heartbreak that's coming and we know that they're just kicking the can down the road and we know that the kicking the can down the road is going to end because the road is going to end is we've got huge numbers probably somewhere between 30 and 40 million people who are behind on their rents behind on their mortgages behind on their ability to cover their basic cost of living and we've got a winter coming and I don't know if people realize we live in the Northern Hemisphere, right? It's easy to go, well, get a tent and go to LA because that's what seems to be a very popular thing. Or you get bus fare courtesy of the government of San Francisco and wind up in the Central Valley, you know, in, in farmland because that's a place you can pitch a tent. You can get away with that in the summer, but you can't get away with that in the winter. And it turns out there's tons of people who are actually going to be homeless, Kyle, this winter. I mean, we are going to have a humanitarian crisis in this country because there isn't a way to keep kicking this down the road. And you already see it happening. So I'm not prognosticating anything. I'm saying what we see right now has nothing to do with the human level crisis we're going to see. And it's really important that we understand that there is going to be part of our collective moral and ethical compass that's going to be tested this winter, which is, are we going to allow the suffering at scale to be something that goes on and we just turn a blind eye and go, well, hey, the government screwed it up. The government has to solve that. Here's the tragedy. Based on the outcome of the election, there's a high probability that there's going to be a government who has a high predisposition to going, yes, let's institute a big government program to help the problem. Well, Guess what helping the problem is going to look like? Tents. Not, you know, a car in every garage and a chicken in every pot. It's going to be tents and soup kitchens. And guess how you're going to get to your tent and your soup kitchen? Through the vaccination line. Mm. Right? This is a great way. Anytime you have federal aid with a capital F and a capital A, there are always strings attached. But I wish what I'm about to say isn't true, but unfortunately it is true. This time it's gonna be with syringes attached. That's a terrifying and chilling statement because people are going to be forced into decisions where humanitarian aid is going to come at the cost of actually putting their bodies into clinical traps. Damn. That's a real thing, and we are months or weeks away from that happening. 
And I can guarantee you that if you elect, if you go to the polls and if you have not said to the person you're voting for at a rally, at a meeting, at a town hall, at a something, do you stand for unchecked police powers? Do you stand for compulsory vaccinations and therapeutic interventions? Do you stand for the suspension of liberty? And if that person doesn't answer no to every single one of those things, do not pull the lever for them. Because the fact of the matter is, we are going to elect people, and if we have not held the candidates accountable, then it is on us when all the things I just talked about happen. This is a moment where every single person should be saying, you cannot have my vote if you have not answered the question. Medical sovereignty, the limitation of police powers, the limitation of government's capability of shutting down business. If you're thinking that that's a good plan, we're going to say you suck as a public servant. Get the hell out. That's what we should be doing. But Kyle, very few of us are. Very few of us are asking the question, is the person that we're about to elect going to do worse than what we've already seen? And I'll tell you what, you know, I only hope that in the months between the election and the inauguration, I only hope that President Trump, at least win or lose, does the right thing, which is to address these issues, to make sure that on his watch, the carnage that's coming can't happen. And that is executive orders. That is actually a revocation of the 1986 Liability Act. That's all kinds of things. There's things that can be done, but we need action or we are going to see an America suffer in a way that we have not seen, certainly since the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, and probably much worse than that. Well, I think we can leave it there, brother. <laughs> that is, that's a lot to chew on. Uh, we're going to have a laundry list of show notes in this one. Highly recommend getting both of David's books. And of course, you do the Audible for Lizards Eat Butterflies. Um, yeah. This is, this is one where we, we, we really just jump into hitting the ground running. So if the pace is a bit much, you know, you can start with London Real. We'll, of course, have that in the show notes. And, if, and no better place to start than, than Plandemic 2 Indoctrination, of course. We'll have that in the show notes again as well. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. This will be the first of many, I hope, deep conversations. Kyle, I'm at your disposal. You know that I stand with people who actually love life, love their families, love their communities and want to see this great country come back to the land of liberty. Uh, it's an honor to be with you, my brother. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of your work, brother. You got it.